Good evening. All right, let's begin with prayer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Good and gracious God, we give you praise and thanksgiving for this day. We thank you for the rain um, that is much needed here in western Oklahoma. We give you thanks for this season of Advent, this season of preparation, this season of hope, hope in the original coming of your Son, but also hope in what his life meant and means for us and our salvation. We pray that you may bless our conversation this evening, that you may bless our families, that you may watch over our catechists and watch over all of our students this evening. We ask all these things in your Son's name as we pray together in the words that our Savior gave us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. So this semester, we've been talking about a lot of different things. Um, the hope was to talk, get through all of the theological virtues, but we got to faith. So we've got tonight and half of a class next Wednesday um, to start talking about hope. I'm hoping to, ironically, between tonight and next Wednesday, um, cover the majority of the virtue of hope so that when we come back in the spring, um, the first class that we'll have back, I'm actually going to meet with all the confirmation parents um, that evening, and then we'll have the second class period back for adult education as well. Uh, we'll continue um, whatever I haven't finished next week with hope, and then go into love and charity as we go into January and February and into the Lent semester. Any questions on faith or anything from the talk last week for those of you that were here uh, when we had Owen Canfield and uh, Tony Gallier? I think it was a very good conversation. I went and watched it after the fact. Um, if any of you guys were able to make it and didn't get any papers or weren't able to, to make it and wanted more of the papers um, that they were talking about, we've got more of those in the office um, as far as the funeral plans, but also um, advanced directives based on the Catholic theology. Because um, those are things that many times those that work in the medical field only see what the state puts out, <laughs> and they don't see, oh, there's actual moral things attached to going to the doctor um, that we see as Catholics. Any questions at all? No. Okay. So, the virtue of hope, and again, we're still um, following along in that same text that we've been using this semester. When we look at hope, what pops in your mind when you think of the word hope? My hope is that you don't fall asleep tonight. No, no, I'm just kidding. Um, but hope isn't the same thing that saying, like, I wish something would happen or I wish this would happen. That, that's not what we're talking about when we talk about the virtue of hope. The virtue of hope is much deeper than just a plain wish. When we talk about, and Christ talks about the three theological virtues of faith, hope, and love, we have faith in that everything that we profess and that everything that has been handed on to us is true. We have hope in the resurrection that we won't know until the moment that we die. Love, though, remains when we die because God is love. So once we die, there's no more need for faith, there's no more need for hope, but love will remain. So hope, basically, when we look at it from the theological term, is all about the next life. It's all about everything that we have professed and believed about in the faith that we've talked about these last few weeks. 
all of the tenets of our faith, the one holy Catholic and apostolic church, all of those things that we say in the creed, which if, if you haven't heard of it already, um, two years ago, Father Mike Schmitz um, from Minnesota put out a podcast called The Bible in a Year Timeline. This year, starting January 1st, he's doing the Catechism in a Year Timeline. So if you haven't done the Bible in a Year, highly recommend it. But I also recommend starting the Catechism in a Year. It's a free podcast where we'll go through this green text, which I don't have up here for some reason, the really thick green Catechism that came out in 1983. He'll go through that and explain it um, in hopefully a better way than I will ever be able to because he spent just his time these last few years um, getting these presentations ready for everybody. So that's an opportunity as well. Um, But hope directs us towards this personal union with God which is far much more significant than where normally we look in life. Normally, when we are talking about things that we hope for, we think for, we, we hope for different changes in our attitude. We hope for changes in the things that we come into contact with on a daily basis. Like, man, I hope I hit all the green lights on the way to where I'm going because I get frustrated when I hit a red light and I'm in a hurry. I hope I make it past, this is what it used to be when I was at Corpus Christi, I hope I make it past 10th Street before the train hits because if not, I'm stuck at the train for 15 minutes. That's not what we're talking about when we're talking about hope. I don't hope for a good grade, though I may wish I get a good grade, but of course the Lord reminds us God helps those who help themselves. If you, if you study for a, good, for a test, you'll probably do decent on it as long as you prepared properly. But when we talk about hope, it's about how do we hope in him who is the focus of everything in our lives as Catholics. Christ tells us with the two great commands, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, Love your neighbor as yourself. If we look at those two great commands in their primacy of place, in their primacy of order, do we truly love the Lord our God with any of our heart, with any of our soul, with any of our time, with any of our being? We may say, yeah, you know what? I showed up tonight. Good. I'm glad you're here. I showed up to Mass last Sunday. Good. I'm glad you're here. Remember, we have a holy day of obligation tomorrow. Be there too. And so those are some of the, like, checkbox things that are the easy things to fill out. Yes, I am living as if these things that I am hoping for will, will be actually true. But how do we take it a step further? How do we profess our faith by living a hope-filled life? It's not just about being optimistic. Because there's a lot of things that will go wrong in your life while you are seeking to practice hope. I've talked about many of them this semester, I feel like, that things never go quite how I planned them to go. In fact, tonight, I had planned to come in here, have a little bit of time, but we, uh, I was talking to um, many of uh, our, our uh, Spanish-speaking parishioners that were doing the rosary and letting them know about what's going on next Monday with Our Lady of Guadalupe. We're going to have Mass here on Monday at 6 o'clock in Spanish, but also that we're eventually going to be moving the Our Lady of Guadalupe statue from the vestibule area into the chapel area because one of the beauties that we have in the church is liturgical art that helps to elevate and raise our gaze and raise our expectations of why we are in a place. When, we, when you go to a place of holiness, you go to holy ground, 
what do you want to do there? You pray. And so we have these religious articles, these religious icons in our lives that we kind of go, when we do the Station of the Cross, we look at the different images that are presented to us to replicate for us what happened and what it is we're trying to focus on. So what's the best place to do that? In a church or a chapel. Having Mary in the vestibule, it's kind of weird. Um, and not weird in a negative sense, but weird in the sense that it's hard to pray because there's a lot of other things that happen in that space. People are moving in and out. Um, people are um, talking, and that's what we talk before Mass, we talk after Mass. But within these doors, within these, within these confines for the most part, what happens in this space and what happens in that space but prayer? So it gives us that opportunity to really focus on why we are in a specific place. Now, is it wrong for us to have Mary out there? No, not at all. Just like it's not wrong for us to have Padre Pio out in front of the church or Mary Queen of Scots outside or even going out to the cemetery and praying before the altar there. That's not wrong. But when we have the ability to, we want to really center our focus on why we are here. And for many of our Hispanic brothers and sisters, they come for 46 nights from October 28th until December 12th and pray the rosary as a community of faith. Let's invite that into the church and not just leave it at the walls. Kind of like going into Jerusalem, do you stay at the Wailing Wall or do you actually enter into the city? We want you to enter into the city to make sure that you know that this is your home, whether you speak English, Spanish, Portuguese, French, German, Burmese at my last parish, whatever language you speak, God is the same God of love. And so I hadn't prepared to have that conversation, which is kind of a, all right, good timing. I got here when you guys are ending the rosary. We're going to have this conversation. And as I was having that, uh, the fifth grade teachers and Julie came up, hey, you want to hear some confessions? Sure, because that's what I'm here for. Um, it is. I mean, that, that is actually what I'm here for is to help with the sacraments. So I was like, I can't say no, so yes. But the last one, we'll get you next week. Because um, I wanted to make sure that we did still have this little bit of time for prayer. And I say all of that to say none of that was planned. In my plan, I'd have about 15, 20 minutes of just being able to focus. Okay, let me go over my notes again that I've been over a couple of different times in the last week or so. Let me figure out exactly what I want to say, exactly how I want to say it. And the Lord said, I'm glad that you have that plan. That's not going to happen that way. And so in the hope that I have from the Lord, when we focus in on this, it's not just about things going my way, but it's about recognizing that no matter how things are going in my life, I can always see the fruits. I can always see where the Lord is leading me. But also, when we talk about authentic hope, it's not about this life. It's about the life to come. One of the greatest blessings that I got in seminary was at all eight years of seminary, I went to a Benedictine monastery. So I went to Conception Seminary up in northwest Missouri for three years, and then I was at St. Meinrad for five years um, in southern Indiana. Both of those are um, uh, diocesan seminary, seminaries, but they are housed by Benedictine monks. One of the beauties that I found in the Benedictine order as a diocesan seminarian and then diocesan priest is that they don't deal with the extremes. We are normally either way, way, way up here or way, way, way down here. We're bipolar very much so in how we live. But also when we look at the society we live, we are either over here on the super 
progressive are over here on the super traditional and conservative, but the Benedictines live in the middle. They search out what's called the via media. Because everything we do in our lives can't be on an extreme or on a polar opposite and at the same time hold the same value. You can't be 100% right over here and 100% right over here. That's not to say that you're 100% right here. (laughs) But we are closer to what is truth when we are looking at both sides of the argument and looking at them through the lens of faith and the lens of eternal life. And so one of the sayings that the Benedictines have is, memento mori, remember death. Super morbid, out of context. In context, it's to live always with death before your eyes. And I talk about this all the time for a reason. One, eight years of Benedictine education. Secondly, because in my life, I see the truth that is born witness in that statement. There are so many things that get under our skin on a daily basis. So many things go wrong on a daily basis. So many buttons get pushed by the exact right people at the exact right time that make us want to explode. But then in five weeks, five months, five years, we're going to completely forget about it. Or as one saying used to say, why spend more than five minutes on something that five, minutes, five years down the road you won't even remember. But when it comes to our faith, when it comes to Christ, what are we called to focus on? Eternal life. That everything we do in this life, everything that Christ preached about in the parables, that he talked about in the temple, was all focused not on this world, but on the kingdom to come. Even in the perfect prayer he gives us, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. That we have to hope that God has in store for us, planned out for us, the best possible plan for each and every one of us. But just because it's the best plan doesn't mean it's the easiest plan. In fact, today's gospel that we had at Mass was from St. Matthew, and it's one of the most recited gospels that I have as a priest every year because it's taken from the second portion of the gospel that we use for the sacrament of anointing of the sick. And at the end of that gospel, it says, My yoke is easy, my burden is light. I don't know about you, but when I hear that as a child, I think, Yeah, that's cool. Jesus' burden is light. So I hear that as an adolescent and a young adult. It's like, wait a second. There are so many rules to this faith. What do you mean your yoke is easy and your burden is light? You're making me do this and not letting me do this. And if I do this and this and this, I'm going to hell. How is this easy? How is your yoke easy and your burden light? Well, again, what is the lens in which we see life through? Do we see it through the world? Or do we see it through eternal life? Thomas Beckett was famous for saying on his way to dying, I'm not in danger, I'm only near to death. Think about that. As he was being led to his death, he said, I'm not in danger, I'm only near death. Because death is coming for each and every one of us. That is the price of sin. But eternal life is why we live. 
this life so that we can attain the fruits of the life to come. But if we don't embrace them, if we don't live them out, if we don't believe in them and practice them, Christ says a bad tree cannot produce good fruit, a good tree cannot produce bad fruit. You will know their Christians by their love, by the fruits that they bring forth. So what are the fruits in our lives that show that we are living not only the tenets of faith, but that we are focused on hope? Well, how do we live our daily lives? How do we focus in our lives? Are we so busy with the minutia of the day and by that every details have to be perfect and right? Or do we say, you know what, it didn't go perfect, it didn't go how I wanted it to, but you know what, nobody died today, didn't set the house on fire, and everybody got food, hallelujah. Sometimes that's the best we can do. We, we look at that bare minimum bar sometimes, because that's what gets us sometimes through the day. But how do we focus on something more? As St. Paul said, hope is the dynamic reality at the heart of all. For in hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope at all. For who hopes for what is seen? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience and endurance. So hope is then that virtue that enables us to live not for right now, but for the future. Many times, though, when we look to the future, Pope St. John Paul II talked about this a lot, what was the, most, what was the phrase that was most attributed to Pope St. John Paul II? Do you remember? It's three words. Be not afraid. Because fear, many times in our lives, not only does it distract us from truth, but it diverts us from living lives of hope. Now, hope isn't saying you have to be optimistic about everything in life. I am a raging pessimist. Just ask anybody who's around me for more than five minutes. I will give you every possible scenario that can ever go wrong in any situation. Just ask. I've thought about them. I've lost sleep thinking about them. It happens. But at the same time, how do I take that life and enter it into hope. Well, it doesn't happen like that, unfortunately. It doesn't happen in the blink of an eye or the snap of a finger. It takes a lot of practice. I have to practice hope. In fact, this morning, I woke up at 1.30 this morning. My stomach was hurting, and my heart was racing. I had just had a very vivid dream where I had the coolest movie-watching experience ever in creation, and in history, and this was in my dream. And in my dream, my heart was racing, my heart was racing, and I couldn't get my heart to calm down. I woke up, my heart was racing, my heart was racing, I couldn't get it to calm down. And in the midst of that dream was the reality that the Lord was saying, wake up, something's going wrong, wake up, something's going wrong, wake up, something's going wrong. Woke up, took some medicine, after about an hour and a half, finally got my heart rate back under control. But all of that to say, it would have been easy to fall into fear. And there was some fear there of, oh crap, my heart rate is resting at 160 right now. My blood pressure is 155 over 105, and I just woke up. What is going on? What is going wrong with me? Well, I forgot to take my medicine yesterday. Well, moron. That, 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 100% my fault. 
But it's natural for me in my mind to go worst case scenario. I'm dying. I'm going to die. And oh my gosh, I'm not even going to make it to class tonight. And that's where my mind as an adolescent and young person would have gone immediately. My response was Psalm 23. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Even though I walk through, the valley, uh, walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. That is my go-to prayer, Psalm 23. Because my whole life, since I heard a sung version of it by a Christian um, artist, Kathy Jacoli, back in eighth grade, that brought calm to my heart. So I know for me, my love language with God is music. Some music that I listen to, I have a playlist that's called Pissed Off Music. That's where my, my Metallica comes out. That's where like Nine Inch Nails is coming out. Like the heavy, heavy stuff. If I'm in a bad mood, I want to listen to it. Why? I don't know. I also used to have crying music. Like, again, I'm only 37, so that was like the boy bands from the 90s, all the breakup hits and classics that you could ever play, just to sit there and bask in the, <laughs> why does everybody hate me? But I also have playlists that just bring peace. In fact, four years ago, I did Exodus 90 for the first time, and one of the things that they have you do during Exodus 90 is you can only listen to music that is uplifting, Looked at my playlist, it's like, ah, oh, crap. That's like 90% of my music I got, got to get rid of. Well, got to find new music. So what I found on top of just praise and worship, which I'd always kind of listened to, was instrumental music. Instrumental music, for me, growing up, 90.1, the radio station in the city, where you always have like the, 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 um, the classical, classical station, we get it like, I think you can get it once you get to Clinton. It's a classical station that sometimes like plays NPR. And I'd play it, I'd be asleep in three minutes. Because that's what my dad would always listen to on the way to school and always listen to on the way home from school. I'd pop it on and be... But I had to find a way to take it from... to... Because the Lord gives us, many times in our lives, different tools... For different things. So for me, I found that music can help adjust how I react and respond to things. But music is a gift. Music, some people have it, some people don't. In fact, the number one excuse for people not singing at Mass is that people say, Father, God gave me a voice and it doesn't match what everybody else's matches. My response is, Yes, and Jesus said, make a joyful noise. And if he doesn't like it, he'll change it. And until he changes it, sing at the top of your lungs. Now, people around me will be like, Father, come on. I love when Abraham sings at Mass. I love when he responds at Mass. Because you know, oh, Abraham's here today. Like, I could be over here, and I've got a microphone and he's over there by himself, or with Christina, or with his grandmother. And you know, and with your spirits, like, oh, Abraham's here today. If only each and every one of us, every time that we came to Mass, had a portion of the amount of enthusiasm that that little kid has. Wow. It's 
just imagine that. Like, if the 15 to 20 of us that are in here tonight, next time we came to Mass tomorrow night at 5 o'clock or 7 o'clock, hoity of obligation, the next time that we came to Mass responded with half of the amount of enthusiasm and joy and hope and love in his heart, people would be like, what is wrong with you guys? Well, we'd be like we were supposed to be. I don't know about you, but I heard that song growing up as a kid in religious education class. I got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. We're down in my Annoying as all get out. The problem, though, is it is stuffed so down in our hearts that we forgot that it ever existed. Because we aren't joyful because we have lost our reason for hope. And our reason for hope is not found out in the world, unfortunately. Our reason for hope is found right here. A reason for hope is found in the way, the truth, and the life. He will never disappear. But our ability to embrace, to understand, and to allow it to change us, that's the only thing we can control. We can control how much we allow that truth to exist in our hearts. But Satan wants to tell you that's not true. That's where sin comes into the world. That's why I preach so often about the sacrament of reconciliation. As I've said for myself, I know basically how long it's been since I've been to confession. Well, because A, it's only been like a week. But (laughs) I know based on my mood how long it's been since I've been to confession. If I am in a pissy mood and always pessimistic and not looking to anything positive... I need to go to confession. If it's been a day, I need to go to confession. If it's been a week, I need to go to confession. It's been two weeks, it's been too long anyways, I need to go to confession. Because the sacrament of reconciliation isn't just about my sins being forgiven, but it's about receiving the grace that I need to combat despair, to combat hopelessness, to combat fear. If my first response is, life sucks and then you die, (laughs) it's probably been too long since I've been in the sacrament of reconciliation. And that's my childhood. In fact, my pastor growing up, who finally retired after 25 years being our pastor this last summer, called me out one time. And he said, morning, Danny, how are you? I said, I'm tired. He said, you know what? That's the only response you've given me for the last five years that I've been your pastor I'm tired. It's like, well, I am. What are you, you want to lie to you? I feel great, Father. No, but it was, I'm tired. And that may be true. I may be exhausted. I may not be where I want to be. But how do I look to some of the positives that are in life? I preached about this about a month ago. Um, Stan Worth, every Saturday night when I come and greet him. It's like, hey, how you doing? Better than I deserve, Father. Like, I feel inadequate around Stan because he has what I'm looking for in that response. I wish that would be my response. That would be my witty retort. And see, well, things are going okay. Or, well, this kid fell down and broke this. Or, 
I came in tonight and the, there was no candle in the t- for the tabernacle lamp. So I had to come and do that. Oh, I've got to come do this again. And so woe is me. It's like, oh man, it's only been four days since I've been to confession. I need to go again? Dang it. But at the same time, I'm glad that I have that self-knowledge about myself. Pope St. John Paul II was, was said and known to go to confession every day that he was the Pope because he knew the burdens of the world were on his shoulders as the Pope. People have joked with me in the past about saying, oh, Father, are you looking forward to possibly being a bishop one day? And I said, shut your mouth. (laughs) I don't wish that on my biggest enemy. As a pastor, I struggle many times to balance being pastor here, being pastor at Queen of All Saints, and being a brother and a son. That's hard to balance. In fact, the last time that we talked, remember I was trying to figure out what are we doing for Christmas? It took me four weeks to make that schedule because my goal was to not piss anybody off. Sorry if you were on the wrong side of that. Was not meant, I promise. But that's part of my struggle as a priest. When I look to the Pope, I mean, not even the Pope, look at the bishop. There are 116 parishes and missions in our archdiocese. And he gets the flack for all of them. If he has one person per parish that's complaining about something that is or isn't happening on a monthly basis, that's 30 phone calls. No, that's too many. That's three phone calls a day of complaints about priests a month. If he gets more than one person complaining in every parish or mission, which happens, I couldn't even imagine how you could find hope. Because all you hear is the negativity, 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 negativity. But at the same time, one of the jobs that I missed the most before I joined seminary was when I was a technical support agent and resolution specialist for Direct TV. That sounds weird but I'm a nerd. I love playing on the computer. I got to learn how to code. I got to answer people's questions. I got to solve the mysteries of the universe. Why is my cable not working? Is your TV plugged in? Touche. Ten times, I kid you not. Ten times, either the TV or the the direct TV box wasn't plugged in. We're in the middle of a hurricane. We're in the middle of the worst blizzard ever. My TV says searching for satellite. Yeah, because the satellites are in space and they can't see through bricks. I don't know what to tell you. There was a sheet of ice between the satellite and the satellite dish. It's not going to work. But me, I got to say, I'm sorry you're having that problem. Let me walk through these troubleshooting steps with you. It was the most peaceful, calm I could ever be because every call was quality monitored. So I couldn't snap off because if I did, I'd be fired in a heartbeat. I cannot tell you how many people I made mad because I didn't get mad and didn't get upset. In fact, there was one person that I remember specifically New Year's Eve, 2006, two and a half hour phone call. 
I remember her name. I won't say it in case any of you guys may potentially be related. She's from Wisconsin. We had to call the police in Wisconsin. She was homebound, and her remote control broke. And she wanted me to get her a remote control that day. It's New Year's Eve at 10 o'clock at night, and I am half a world away. What do you want me to do for you? I want you to go down to Target and get me a remote control in 30 minutes. Ma'am, I can't do that. I'm not even in the same state. Well, where are you? I'm not telling you where I am. I'm in the Midwest. Midwest, South. We're, we're in the Southwest. We're north of Texas. And I remember that woman because when I look back, I had such pity that her whole life revolved around being able to watch her show because her family had abandoned her. She hadn't seen her kids in years. Her parents were both gone. All she had was her TV. How many times do we find ourselves in that same unfortunate world where all we have is our job, all we have is our family, all we have is the perfect whatever, and then it doesn't go how we want it to go. And everything just sucks. I'm struggling with that myself a little bit right now when it comes to Christmas. Hopefully my family's not watching. I'm struggling with, I have to miss my typical Christmas this year because I won't start Christmas for myself until noon. But that's part of that balance that I have as a priest. That I am a pastor here. I am meant to be your spiritual father. It's like, yeah, but I'm still a son. And so sometimes it's that balance that we have to play, whether I'm the priest. Oh, the priests are all perfect. Have you met me? If this is perfection, try again! But we're all human. We all have those flaws in our lives. We all have those flaws in our families. And so how do we see in the midst of those flaws, those opportunities for perseverance? That You know what? I have decided, because I am a Grinch when it comes to Christmas, because, and you'll even see in the Christmas Sunday um, bulletin that I wrote the article for last week, I, I hate Advent because nobody celebrates it. Nobody celebrates Advent. They're so busy trying to celebrate the 25 days of Christmas, you see it on Disney Channel. You see it on Nickelodeon. You've seen the Christmas movies on Hallmark 24-7, 365. And so when I go out... I don't want to encounter Christmas yet. I want to encounter Advent. Give me, oh, come all ye faithful. Not, it came upon a midnight clear. We aren't there yet. We aren't there yet. Yes, I'm hoping that that day is going to come. And we know that 2,000 years ago it did happen. But I am not where I need to be personally to be able to receive Christ. Because I have sin in my life. I have distractions in my way for truly being able to receive the Lord as he is, not as I want him to be, not as Ricky Bobby wanted him to be in Talladega Nights, that six-pound, four-ounce baby Jesus, or whatever he said. But that's who he prayed to was a six-pound, four-ounce baby Jesus. It's like, um, first of all, Will Ferrell, nice. 
Second of all, really? But that's what we focus on. We focus on different aspects of the Christ child. And we forget that it's the Christ adult, Jesus Christ made incarnate, that offered his life for you and for me so that we can have the hope of eventually attaining eternal salvation when, not if, the Lord calls us home. I didn't plan it this way, but I think having last week's class was a perfect setup for talking about hope. Because when we talk about our funeral preparations, when we talk about advanced directives, it's not meant to be morbid. It's meant to be prepared. How many times you may not have gotten into it or or, or seen it, but I can't tell you how many times I in my seven and a half short years of being a priest have encountered families that don't know where to start when their loved one dies. I'm sitting with them in the hospital, their mom, their son, their dad, their grandfather, their grandchild has just died. What do we do next? Well, do you have a funeral home picked out? We're from out of town, or we're visiting them and they're from out of town, so, so we, do, do you know where they want to be buried? We haven't had that conversation. Um, okay, well, do, do you want to have a mass said for them? Like, do you want to have a mass of burial? Do you want to have them buried in a casket or buried and cremated? And do you want the casket to be an open casket at the funeral and closed afterwards? Or like any of those things are like, I don't even want to think about it. It's like, I don't either. But I am so grateful that my family, unbeknownst to us, unplanned by us, but perfectly planned by God, had that conversation 10 months before my dad died. Because at Christmas, of all times, 2019, when we were together as a family, we had the conversation, because dad is from New York and mom is from California, where are we going to be buried? Where are we going to live? We've been here for 25 years, but when we die, what's the plan? I've got an older brother who's in the military. He moves every other year and a half. He's already moved twice since then, I think once since then, he's about to move again. And then I've got, at that point, myself and my youngest brother were the only two living in the state of Oklahoma. Both of my sisters were on the East Coast. One was a lawyer, and one was working on getting her uh, law degree um, at Richmond University. One was working in D.C., and my older brother was in Florida. So we had two up in D.C. area, one down in Florida. Me and my youngest brother were working at McGinnis, and mom was working at St. Andrews. And so I, they're like, I don't know where I'm going to end up. I said, well, I know I'm going to be a priest of the Archdiocese of Oklahoma City until I die unless God has a funny sense of humor and something else happens. I'm planning to be buried at Resurrection Cemetery. I can't afford it right now, but eventually I'll be able to afford a, a plot at Resurrection Cemetery. And that's my plan. Because that's where most of the priests, when they die, if they don't have a cemetery at their home parish, that's where they go. And people say, they're like, well, Father, you can always get buried here at St. Matthew's Cemetery. I'm hoping to outlive my time here at St. Matthew's. Thank you very much. Yes, I would love to be here forever, but not forever. <laughs> you know? <laughs> now, that may change down the road because a lot of times where you spend a lot of time, you may go back to in your retirement. I don't know. Father Griner comes back around here all, all the time. I don't know what his plans are, so don't even ask me. But I told my family, I was like, that's my plan is to be buried there. So mom and dad had finally said, we're going to be buried in Oklahoma. And dad, three weeks before he got COVID, 
had the conversation with my mom. Am I going to be buried, or am I going to have a casket, or am I going to be cremated? Three weeks before he got COVID, had that conversation. One of the blessings that I get to give both of my parents for my ordination, when a priest is ordained, their hands are um, pretty much lathered on and coated with the chrism. We then take a cloth called the manaturgium and wipe off the chrism on that, put it in a Ziploc bag, put it in a nice little box. Just put it in the manaturgium and put it in that box. And when our mother dies, we bury that with our mother. When our father dies, the first stole that we used for our first reconciliation, we bury with our dads. So when my mom and dad were having this conversation in the living room, where over the fireplace, they have dad's retirement flag from the Air Force, on either side of it, where they've got Joseph over here and Mary over here, or vice versa, they also have the boxes with the manaturgium and the funeral stole. And so they had this conversation, they looked up and said, God's already answered that for us, I'm going to have a casket. Three weeks before dad got covid God has these things in mind. He plans these things to be in place in our lives. I deal with death a whole lot more than I want to, believe me. But it reminds me as a priest that life is short and most of us don't truly live it. One of the analogies that I've been focusing on, and I may have used it at one of the weekend masses, so if I have, I apologize if you've already heard this. It's the idea of Life is going by because we're on autopilot. Most of us, when we learn to drive in my generation, learn to drive an automatic. Did anybody else learn to drive an automatic car? You guys all learn standards? Thank you. Th- appreciate it for the babies in here. You guys all learned on standards? Okay, Mandy. Okay, I was, I was about to say, it's like, come on, there's got to be someone else in here. Th- thank you. Thank you, Julie. It's like, man, I can't, I, I, mean, I know I'm all, young, but come on. But many of us in life, we are so used to the car shifting for us. Like my car, I've got like the upshift, downshift, but I don't have like a shift. It's a go fast, you figure it out. (laughs) Figure out the RPMs because I don't want to pay attention to it. Hit cruise control and just go. But as I drive, that's sometimes how I live my life. I'm going along, going along, going along, and life is living me. I'm not living it. But I think if I pop back into a manual transmission in my life, it'd give me a whole lot more control when the RPMs are redlining. I can downshift, upshift. I don't even know which one you're supposed to do at that point. That's how much I know about standard transmissions. Don't get me a standard ever. Because I'd be like, (laughs) how much does it cost to make it auto? Because I just... But that's how many times we focus on our lives. We all think that I'm not a bad person, and you're not. But there was this TV show that came out, and I may have talked about this before because I tend to talk about the same things just like our grandparents do. Oh, when I was young. Well, when I was watching this TV show, um, it was a TV show called The Good Place. Has anybody heard me talk about this before? No response, so I get to talk about it then. So The Good Place, TV show. It was on ABC, I think it was. It had three or four seasons. And the first episode, the main character dies. And she goes to what she's told is the good place. And she's like, oh, crap. The person in life that they're talking about, that wasn't me. (laughs) 
but I'm not bad enough for the bad place. I'm not good enough for the good place. Can't I just go to the middle place? First of all, the fact that they couldn't say heaven and hell, that's a problem. Secondly, (laughs) there was a middle place in there. That's a bigger problem. Because Christ speaks specifically about this in Scripture. Be either hot or cold. Be not lukewarm or I will spew you from my mouth. Yee. He doesn't really mince words with that, does he? (laughs) The struggle, though, is we are so automatic and very lukewarm in our lives that we forget sometimes that we're called to be intentional, not just for ourselves, but for the world. How many times have we prayed, Lord, send someone to fix the world. Send someone to bring us peace. And his response is, What are you doing about it? It's like, ooh, touche, Lord. (laughs) Touche. How many times have we seen these saints that have come out of places and we're like, yeah, let the saints do it. That's supposed to be all of our goals in life, is to be a saint, not to just kind of, (laughs) made it to heaven. There'll be joyful day when that happens, the getting to heaven part at least. (laughs) But why are we longing to be in heaven when we're living our lives as if it doesn't even exist. Do we think, do we ask ourselves, should I say, should I do, before we do a lot of things? No, because we're on, we're on automatic pilot. That's my hope as your pastor is, if nothing else, to put in like an extra millisecond into everyone's decision-making. I say the same thing to our kids all the time. I want you to ask the question, why is something happening? I got in trouble for that in school. Anybody else get in trouble for asking too many questions? Or is it just the priest that asked all the questions? Awesome. Thank you. Thank you, Julie. We're in the same mind frame today. I got in trouble all the time to the point where when I was in fifth grade in North Dakota, I got daily detention because I asked too many questions. Do you know what the detention they gave me was? Lunch detention, copy the dictionary. Maybe you'll find some of your answers there. Didn't learn crap. Find a letter, copy the dictionary. That wasn't helpful. That didn't help me grow. But how many times is that our response in life? We don't want to give the answer, or we don't know the answer. So we say, oh, go figure it out yourself. It's like, if I could, I wouldn't ask the question. But it got to the point in seminary where I realized my questions were becoming a distraction. So I, so I finally talked to some of my professors, and they said, three. You get three questions during class. The rest of them, write them down, and we'll talk about them after class. One of my professors before I joined seminary, um, Professor Mike Punches from OCCC, who ended up coming to my ordination, awesome guy, um, eight years after I'd met him, I would go to class, ask questions during class, and then spend an hour and a half in his office every day after class asking more questions. Because my struggle is I can't just ask the first question. I actually have question number three, but I have to chronologically ask all of these other questions to get to where question three makes sense as a question in context. 
because my brain is so ADHD, I don't think linearly. I think geometrically. You hear it in my homilies all the time. You're like, all right, how's he going to finish this one out? It's a joy because I don't know most times. That's not true. But, but it's, even with our talks that we have here, okay, he's talking over here. What does this have to do with the virtue of hope? How is he going to like, oh, I see what he, that, that makes sense. But unfortunately, that's just how my brain processes. That, that, that's a normal, when I talk to you guys, this is how my brain is going in a straight line. You're like, that's weird. Uh-huh, it is. But it's the blessing that God gave me or the task that God gave me or the cross that God gave me and the tools that he gave me that I can work with. Sometimes it works. Some places it works. I will never be a great speaker that will be asked to go out and do presentations. Praise God. I don't want to be a Father Mike Schmitz because when it comes to the, well, where did you find that answer? I saw a movie one time. I watched a TV show one time and I learned it. Okay, but what did Saint so-and-so and Saint so-and-so? What did they say? Because one of my struggles growing up, I was taught to memorize, regurgitate, and recycle. That is what our kids are still learning in school. That is why many of our kids are either more advanced than they should be or less advanced than they should be. And it's not their teacher's fault. It's the system's fault. I learned finally my fourth year of eight in seminary that the reason to study for my exams was not to get an A. In fact, I had one professor that refused to give me an A even if I got everything right, just to teach me that point. It's not about the grade. It's about what have you learned. I learned that you suck because you won't give me an A. That's not the lesson that you taught to teach. <laughs> but sometimes we have that. So with everything that I say in these adult classes, everything I say in homilies, everything that I talk about, have you noticed a theme across the board? At the heart of everything that I always say, it goes back to those two. Love God, love neighbor. Because everything in our faith chronologically go back to that. Why? Because everything in our faith goes back to God. We hope in God. We hope in the life to come. We have to live as if it actually exists. If not, what's the point? Because at some point we will realize if this is all true, which we believe it is by faith, and we don't live as if it matters, there is a repercussion for that action. And that sucks. <laughs> my hope is that not one person I ever meet or ever know or ever hear of in my life has to pay that price for their ignorance. And I mean that in not a negative way, but many times we choose to be ignorant of the truth. Remember when you were a kid and you wanted to be an adult? How dumb were we? We all thought, oh, I can't wait to be an adult. Now we're like, can I have my nap time back? <laughs> Please? <laughs> that as adults we want to be kids and as kids we want to be adults, why aren't we okay with where we are? Well, a lot of it is because 
We're so busy living in the future, we're so busy living in the past, each of which are determined by our present. In fact, and I'll close with this thought from Shifu, great philosopher theologian from the movie Kung Fu Panda. Okay, someone got the joke. He said, yesterday is history, tomorrow is a mystery, today is a gift, that's why they call it the present. If we aren't present today to ourselves, to our spouses, to our children, to our coworkers, to the people we come into contact with, what's the purpose? What the virtue of hope tells us is the purpose is what we long for in the future. That truth that Christ talks about, the kingdom of God for eternity. I struggle with the idea of eternity, and I'll get into that next time because I don't have enough time to get into my ramblings. Because I can only conceive 37 and a half years. When I was talking to some of our kids at the confirmation retreat on Saturday, I said, yeah, our confirmation speaker, Chris Padgett, he taught my confirmation class 20 years ago. Katie leans over and says, Father, these kids weren't alive then. It's like, I know that. But maybe they can have the idea of 20 years ago. Father, they finally started wiping their butts seven years ago. Touche, touche, touche. I mean, they're a little older than that, but you know what I mean. But many times we are so focused on the problems of our past. We're so afraid of what could happen in the future that we don't worry about today. In fact, and I'll, and I'll end on this, I promise, because we only have three minutes left. How many movies do we watch about time travel that they're so worried about when you go back in past, like doing one little thing that'll change all the future? Like, like, if you see yourself in the past, like in Back to the Future, that could change the whole ultimate reality, or just moving this one book that has what's going to happen in every sporting event changes the history, or It's a Wonderful Life, just taking George Bailey out of the conversation changes the whole community. We see all of these huge things that change by one little effect. But we forget to ask ourselves... What changes are we being called to make that we don't make because we don't make that little effect? What things have been unsaid? What things have been undone? How are you being called to change the world today? Because the future is written. We as Catholics believe that God wins the battle, that eternity exists. How do we live that? How do we believe that? How do we have hope in that? And not let anything, fear, distraction, temptation, crosses, get in our way. We'll talk about that the first half of next week. The second half of next week, we also have the kids' program that they're preparing for tonight. So next week for our adult class, we'll have about a 15, 20-minute class, and then we'll go down to the parish hall um, and... The kids have prepared something. I haven't seen it. Uh, they've prepared something for us for the nativity. So let us pray. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. 
Good and gracious God, we give praise and thanksgiving to you for this day, for the opportunity to begin to hope anew, to begin to not only embrace and learn and know about our faith, but to put it into action, to be your hands and feet in the world is a gift many times that we forget. I pray that we embrace that gift today and every day until you lead us home. Watch over these men and women, their families, their friends, those here present and those um, live streaming or watching this after the fact. Pray for safe travels home um, for those traveling through the rain that you may watch out for us, watch over us, and prepare for each of every, every one of us that everlasting place in your kingdom. We ask all these things through the intercession of the Blessed Virgin Mary as we pray. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. The Lord be with you. May Almighty God bless you, the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Go in peace, and we'll see you tomorrow night, either at 5 o'clock at Queen of All Saint, or 7 o'clock here, or I don't know where the times are in Clinton, but those are your closest times. Thanks, guys.